I heard that the sermon last week was somewhat of a success. I heard several accounts of flowers being bought by some wives. And so, uh, well done, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, uh, don't make me guilt you once a year for that. Like, this is, this is a good thing. Um, this week, we're supposed to be talking about parenting. Um, we, we are going to be talking about parenting. If you missed, uh, if you missed Wednesday night's presentation by Liz, uh, please go online and listen to what she had to say. She covered a, a, a range of topics. She talked about mental health in children. Um, she talked about things to look for if, if your child is experiencing some mental health issues. She talked about parenting. She talked about discipline. She talked about a ton of things that were really, really great. And so I, I encourage you to listen to that. Um, in our own house, we discovered pretty rapidly that there is a drastic difference in parenting methods between Laura and myself. If you married, then you might know this experience. I can't tell you how many times I have been asked by her this exact question. You let her leave the house in that? <laughs> and my answer is always, what? What's she wearing? Like, <laughs> she's clothed, right? I, for a second I thought... Something drastic had happened. No, she's just wearing crazy. In fact, as they were getting ready to leave for, the, for Kimberly's uh, shower Saturday, she said, go, get, go help, you know, go change, get Emery changed, but make sure her outfit matches. Because daddy just doesn't care <laughs> if it matches or not. Like a few weeks ago, um, uh, Esri is up in the swing, and Laura's about to take off, and I'm playing video games in the basement. She's going, I don't know where she was going. She was going somewhere. And she comes downstairs. We've got a bi-level if you haven't been to her house. And she says, I'm taking off now. And I say, great, be safe. And she stands in the doorway looking at me. And I say, what? She said, the baby's up in the, up in the swing. I said, yeah, that's, that's great. And I went back to, to what I was doing. Are you going to get her? And I was like, why? Is she going to, like, jailbreak? She's, like, two weeks old. Like, she's not going anywhere, and these aliens are not killing themselves. So what are we going to do? And so, but literally, she just stood there and <laughs> looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> and so... I, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so I went up and I got the baby, and this is how we solve problems. Laura wins. Uh, so perhaps it wasn't any surprise to her this past week when she came out, out of be- the bedroom, and I had gotten, I was getting Emery ready, and we were eating breakfast of chocolate chip cookies. That's why I probably didn't get yelled at because she's just used to um, my parenting style, if you want to call it that. I am probably not a terrible parent. I, I am probably okay. Um, and so that's why I rely so much on the Bible. Because I think the Bible has a lot of really great parenting advice. Noticeably matching outfits, swings, and cookies are not mentioned, just as a side note, uh, in the scriptures. But there are several passages that give us great lines. Here's a, here's a classic one. You've probably heard this before. In fact, if you grew up in church, you memorized this every summer. Can I get a witness, right? If you, every VBS, every camp, and probably in Sunday school at least once a year. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Here Paul is quoting from um, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, and he is correct. This is the, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments that, that attaches a promise. There is something that's going to happen to you if you honor your father and mother. Your life will, will be long. It will go well for you. Things will go 
well. And so this is, of course, a place where children and teenagers listen up. This is something you need to abide by, you need to pay attention to. And it's very important to honor your father and mother because by honoring them, you're paying attention to them. And by paying attention to them, you are seeing the good things that they do and the bad things that they do. If there is one hope that I have for my daughters, it is that they will grow up and they will hear dad say, here are some really good things that you should do. And they will also see, because I know they will, dad's flaws, and they will keep the good and they will jettison the bad. But if you don't honor your parents and pay any attention to them, you will never have the blessing of both of those things. Isn't that, parents, am I, am I speaking the truth here? Yes. We hope that our children will be better than us because we recognize that we have deep, and abiding flaws. The text goes on, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We have men handed over in many ways the training and instruction of of children over to the ladies. The scriptures assume the opposite. They assume that men, you are tied into the scriptures to such an extent that you are bringing the children along and that you are the primary one responsible for bringing up in instruction the way of the Lord. If you're a single mom here today, then I, I just honor you. Like, I'm just in awe of you, that you are being both father and mother uh, to your child. And this is why I think this is a message not just for those of you here who have children and have maybe mother-father houses, but those of you who have no children at all, because you are tied into this church body, and there are a lot of children here, my children, who need to see that it is not just mom and dad that care about Jesus, but that every person here is both trustworthy, loves God, and cares about them. Don't make your children angry. In fact, we might uh, tie this into last week's sermon. Don't be a jerk to your kids. Some parents are. Stop it. In fact, let's, uh, this is a good just piece of advice for everyone. How about let's just not be a jerk to anyone. Let's just, let's just work on that, right? Marriage, family, life in general. Much of the Bible is rich and full of these texts. I point you to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're a parent, you must, must, must read Judges chapters 1 and 2 and see what happens when you don't bring up your children in the instruction of the Lord. If you have children or if you are just alive and breathing today, read Proverbs because there is great advice not only in rearing of children but just in life in general. The Bible is full of rich texts that bring us Um, right to where we should be this morning, but I don't want to talk about those. I want to talk about uh, this text here today. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. Um, I can never do just exactly what I'm asked to do. And so this this is what we're doing today. If you're using the Pew Bible as I am, it's page number 846. 846, Mark chapter 10. One of the things I've noticed, not only as uh, I've been a parent, which hasn't been very long, but youth I've actually been involved with youth and youth ministry longer than I have been a parent, and I have noticed a truth, not just in parents, but in youth ministry and in church leadership and in my own life as we've begun to reach the point where Emery knows the word no and likes to assert it frequently and with emphasis. We are afraid. There is a great deal of anxiety. In fact, I think a large portion of what parents and children are dealing with between themselves is this very word, fear. 
we are fearful for our children. We are afraid of what happens when they're alone with a boy in the car or the boy's alone with a girl in the car, depending on what you have. We're afraid of drugs. We're afraid of alcohol. We're afraid of what happens when they just get behind the wheel and aren't paying attention. We're afraid of who they're hanging out with. We're afraid of bad influences. We're afraid of bad grades. We're afraid that bad grades will lead to no college, will lead to no job, will lead to no life. We're afraid that good grades will get you into the good college, but all of those bad people around you will lead you. We are afraid of the future. We are afraid for our children Teenagers, did you hear that? Your, ch- your parents are on you because they are terrified for you. And why are they worried about you? They are worried about you because they love you. And they have watched people ruin their lives. And they don't want that to happen to you. And so, this is my, probably one of my few words to you today. Cut them some slack. Because I am going to fight with Emery tooth and nail about who she's with, where she's going, what she'll be doing, and when she's been home, when she'll be home. Any teenagers got that rigmarole this week? I will fight with her because I don't want her to meet teenage Jordan. Teenage Jordan is bad news, and she should not hang out with him. And so I'm afraid, and you're afraid, and we're afraid. And this text is a great remedy for fear. Because fear really doesn't get us very far. Fear chains us. And so while I want to encourage you to cut your parents some slack, I also want to encourage you parents to let go of the fear, to let go of the anxiety. There's this, this, this text here, and you've probably heard this before. Um, Matthew, or, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 says this, and they were bringing children to him, that is to Jesus, that he might touch them. It's like a parting a blessing on them, that he might you know, like, give them some good blessing. And the disciples, they rebuke. So this is not just like a, hey, you know, Jesus is kind of busy today. This is like, what is wrong with you people dragging your brats here to Jesus? They rebuked him. I love Mark because Mark plays a lot with the emotion of the whole thing. And you know, I got to say, aren't the disciples right? I mean, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Like even if you take, take away all the Trinity stuff, all the things that we know later on, just the disciples in this moment, they just maybe assume Jesus is the best teacher around the block. He's got important people to talk to. He's got important people to rub shoulders with. He's got people to heal. He's got the dead to raise. Does Jesus in his 20, because Jesus is working with 24 hours just like the rest of us. In that 24-hour block of things that the Messiah has to do is hanging out with kids, the really important thing. Aren't mommy and daddy really busy? Aren't mommy and daddy really busy? The disciples, it seems to me, are right. And then comes the twist in the text. Verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was angry. He was ticked off. He said to them, let the children come to me. What is wrong with you? Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
It's so interesting to me, and this is again why I love the Mark and text here, because Mark plays with the emotions. He says that Jesus is angry. He's upset. He, he, he's, he's angry that they would put these children off, that they would put them aside as though they didn't matter, because Jesus seems to assume something very important here. And what is that thing? The thing that Jesus assumes is that all of the important things that he has to do all of the important people he has to talk to, all of the sick people that he has to heal, all of the 5,000 that are uh, clamoring for loaves and fishes, all of the important things that Jesus has to do, and the important people that Jesus has to talk to, and the important people that Jesus has to teach, the most important people in all of that crowd to Jesus in that moment is who? The children. The children. Do we treat children like that? This week, or last week, I was taking Emery to Lansing to pawn her off on her grandmother. And, uh, you know, there's always that debate. Do we take the car, which has better gas mileage, or do I take the van, which has the DVD player? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy that you laugh so that I know some of you are with me. Uh, the car is what we went with this particular day, but we took the Kindle, right? So she had that, that screen and uh, we're driving maybe 15 minutes in, and she's, you know, she says, I'm going to play with the Kindle. I'm like, okay, baby, you know, play with the Kindle. She's playing with the Kindle. And I, I eventually, I hear sort of like this little sing-song, this like little voice in the back seat. And so I peek, you know, to see what she's up to. And she's kind of like staring out the window, and she's singing to herself. And I assume something's wrong with her because she's put the Kindle down, which normally would keep her for a while. And she's, I say, you know, are you okay? Is something wrong? No, I'm just singing. And I said, well, what are you singing? This must, be like a, this must be a killer song. Like you've put down the Kindle in the game so that you can sing this song. What is this song? The ants go marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> blockbuster, true blockbuster right there. And I blew her mind. And I felt really cool about this. I mean, you can never feel, this is the only time you'll ever feel cool singing that song. It blew her mind because as soon as she got to like the next verse, I like jumped right in. Oh yeah, the ants go marching. She was like, you know this song. I was like, yeah. I know this song. Daddy knows all songs. She's convinced of, she can be convinced of my brilliance for just a little while longer. That turn, like, you know, happens soon. So, where I'll know nothing again. And, um, and so we start singing the ants go We got lost around five. We couldn't remember what was next. Um, but then I started, because we got lost, I started teaching her songs that I knew when my mom would drive me places or we would sing songs in Sunday school. And so I taught her, oh, you can't get to heaven. In a Kleenex box. Very good. Yes, some of you know this. Very good. And Emery thought that was brilliant because, of course, God don't want no dirty snots. That's how the song ends. And so we went through this, and we, just, we had a blast. We had a blast. And so for 45 minutes on the way to Lansing, I sang with my six-year-old, and I tell you what, I have not had more fun. I can't remember when. And... What was incredible about it is because, of course, that song has, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed. So we got to talk about redemption. We got to talk about pearly gates. I got to share the gospel with my seven-year-old. And I thought to myself, as I was driving home from Lansing, how many times has that stupid DVD player stolen an opportunity for me to share the gospel? And so I'm not here to say to you, um, break the DVD players in your house. All the children can say amen. 
And I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever engage in those kinds of things, because sometimes I understand people are very busy, and sometimes you just want your kid to go away. And I understand all of that's very true, but I have a new commitment, and that commitment is, is when we are driving in the car, half of the time we'll be without screens. So at least some of that opportunity we have is an opportunity for us to do what Jesus does here and say with this assumption that Jesus has that the most important people in this room, if Jesus was here today, who are the most important people in this room? You might think the elders, you might think yourself, you would all be wrong. It would be the children taking on that opportunity and that belief might change the way we encounter the world. Jesus assumes this. He says in verse 13, sorry, verse uh, 15, Truly I say to you, uh, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them into his arms and he blessed them. And then it's sort of a, a duplicate, right? So he, he, blessing them infers laying on of hands or, or assumes laying on of hands. But it, you got that doublet there to show you, to emphasize, to make it important, to make it stick in your brain. Not only did he bless them, but he laid his hands on them. Now, oftentimes you have to stop there because what I hear often, and I think I've done, I'm probably guilty of this myself, what we often do with this text is we race to this verse because we are, are trying to make, we're making the assumption that Jesus pulls the children into him so that the children can be an object lesson. No, he pulls the children into him because the children matter most. Then he tries to correct the adults who missed the point. Because all these disciples are all around him saying, what is happening right now? Like, minds are being blown in this crowd because as, as much as we sort of set our children aside now with screens, they set their children aside just as much back then. This is not like a new thing. They just didn't have screens. I don't know what they had, like walnuts or something. I don't know. Whatever it is they played with back in the ancient times, right? This is, I don't know why walnuts. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but you, you, you with me? You following me? They are the most important people. He pulls them in and says, these are the most important people. And then he says, be like the most important people. Because what do they do? They grab a hold of Jesus with childlike faith. There is a missing piece of fear. There is a missing piece of doubt. And they just trust in the Father. They trust in the Father. Now, I'm not saying that um, you should sort of let your children lead your house. Obviously, uh, the scriptures are clear. The parents are leading the house. They're leading out and in training and instruction of the Lord. You need to read Deuteronomy to your children. You need to read Deuteronomy to your children. You need to read Deuteronomy to your children. You need to read the Gospels to your children. You need to ask them questions about what does this mean. This should be a part of your life. But, but and, and just as much as I assume that like 70% of the time, at best, my daughter is a heathen. Just a heathen. So am I. So am I. And what Jesus assumes as he draws these children in is that these children they have something to teach you as well. You have something to teach them. We've got that in black and white. And Jesus uses them here again. He again says here the same thing. There is something for them to teach you. Namely, that the way the children encounter the world is emblematic of how we ought to embrace the kingdom. I was taking Emery to school this week, 
and we're driving uh, and uh, we're talking about different things and we're talking about Esri and how when Esri uh, gets bigger, will she want long hair or short hair? Because the length of hair is a very important topic to seven-year-olds, if you didn't know this. And so uh, we decided that together that she would want to, um, um, that she would want to copy her sister. Uh, we assumed that Esri, as she, she gets older, she's going to want to emulate uh, Emery. And so that led to a question about what the word emulate means. And emulate means you want to copy, you want to be like somebody. And so I said, thinking about hair at the same time, I wish I, I had a hat. I need to go buy a hat. And she says, you don't need a hat. And I said, I do need a hat because I, my hair was messy because I had just you know, gotten out of bed, gotten her ready, and I was going to hit the gym. And so I hadn't showered yet. So my hair is like, you know, five ways of crazy. And I was going to take her up and all these parents are going to see me, you know, and judge me with their judging eyes. Don't, you know, I know y'all do that. Judging eyes. Say that guy. And I was like, I'm going to the gym. I'm being productive, okay? And, uh, and I, I tell Emery, I said, I said, well, you know, my hair is really messy. And she says, well, pff, who cares about that? And I said, well, adults care about that. Like, people think about that kind of thing, don't we? We all, co- some of you, co- Steve didn't, but some of you combed your hair this, <laughs> this morning. Because we care. And Emery said this, brilliant piece of wisdom. Kids don't care about things like that. And I said, you're right. I'm going to emulate you. Because part of what the kingdom is after is a wholehearted disposition. That everything else kind of fades away and becomes unimportant as we pursue the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything else kind of becomes less meaningful. Everything else sort of falls away. In fact, all of the times we have this story recorded of Jesus and the children, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have immediately following, which tells me that this is a part of a literary unit, especially because Jesus uses the word children as he addresses the disciples following this story. We have the story of the rich young ruler. You know this story? Everybody knows this story? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question right? How do we inherit eternal life? Jesus stops him in his tracks, not by addressing the question, but by addressing the assumption. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is a weird thing to say. I've always been puzzled by this thing. And I thought this week, suddenly, I I, I hit on this notion, maybe he's calling out this notion of good, Because in this guy's mind, good is the goal of eternal life. And Jesus' goal is not eternal life. Jesus' goal is the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Now, a part of that becomes this eternal life bit. But if you're pursuing eternal life, you're missing the grand cosmic scope of God transforming all creation. Heaven, earth, the universe, everything is restored and reordered as God rules over it forever and brings back to life the righteous ones so they can be ruled over by him in this Edenic vision of the future. So much bigger than eternal life. But it's also challenging this notion of good. Because there's a lot of things that our society is calling good right now that are not good. But it appears to be good through human wisdom, human mind, our way of thinking about things because we like it or because it fits or because we, uh, everyone around us assumes it's okay. We say good. And I think Jesus is pushing against that notion of good. He says, why are you pursuing good? You ought to be pursuing godly. 
Now, I am desperate that my children do not pursue good. They pursue godly. Often in society, when you pursue godly, everyone around you will not say good. Good? Who thought Jesus was good? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who were in charge, the rulers, the people. Jesus hung out with undesirable people. He did undesirable things. He caused problems. He asked questions. He challenged assumptions. They didn't call Jesus good. They crucified the guy. The people who called him good were the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, everyone who got pushed to the side. And we don't push anyone to the side like we do our children because they're so easy to push. That's who called Jesus good. I think he's challenging this young man's assumptions. He's, he's kind of already messing with him. Jesus loves to mess with people. If you didn't know this already. The teacher, or the, the young, rich young ruler says, uh, well, you know, I've, uh, you know, he's still waiting the answer. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Um, you know, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, you know, ten commandments kind of thing. And the rich young ruler says, I've kept these from a boy I've been, since I was a child. And then Jesus, Jesus says this. One thing you lack. Go sell everything, give it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Let me say, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Jesus says, do all of the law, do all of the old time, do, do the law. And, and the rich young ruler says, I've done that. And Jesus says, you lack this one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. That is terrible advice. That is the worst. If your kid came home, if your, if your niece, your nephew, your friend comes to you and says, I, you know, I know this really amazing teacher, Jesus, and he's going about teaching and preaching. Lives are being changed all over the place. And you say, yeah, I know this guy's really amazing. His ministry is incredible. And, he's, and, and, and then your child or your nephew or your friend says, well, you know, he said I could follow. I could come with him. I just need to leave everything behind. I need to leave that good job. I need to leave that 401k. I need to leave, that pen. I need to leave all of the stuff that I've accumulated in this really big house that I probably need to buy a new one so I can fit the stuff into he said, leave all that stuff behind. What would you tell your child? Well, honey, that's a terrible idea. Because notice what this guy is. Not only is he secure and young, and so he's, he's available for marriage. He, he could pop out a few grandchildren for you, and they'll have a secure, nice life. Right? This, is, this is good. And he's managed to be a decent guy all the way. He's not a sellout. He says, I've kept the commandments. I've done all of this stuff that, you, that, that, that the Old Testament has talked about. I've done it. And Jesus says, here's one more thing. Now, for me, I would be with a rich young ruler. I would have a really hard time letting all of that stuff go. I would feel awfully anxious and fearful about lacking that security. I would feel awfully anxious and fearful about my daughters coming to me and saying, this is, I want to go hit the mission field. Yeah, no, I haven't got any money. Uh, no, I don't really have any great plans. I just want to go and preach Jesus. I'd be like, well, let's, you know, let's think about this a little bit. But if I think about Emery and I put Emery in the position of where the rich young ruler is and I load her up with my little pony, pony, my little pony toys and all kinds of other things, 
and she meets Jesus and sees Jesus for who he is, I feel relatively confident her answer would be, kids don't care about that kind of thing. And I think if there's anything powerful about this story, it is reframing all of it. Because what Jesus is trying to get us to do is to say, if we're pursuing the godly, if we're pursuing the kingdom, then everything else that we are worried about starts to kind of fall away because everything has been rightly ordered in its place and priorities and and everything else can kind of drop to the side. Do you notice who the hero of the story is aside from Jesus? This This whole section, who do you think the hero is? That wasn't rhetorical. I was actually kind of looking for something. Who do you think? The parents. What were the parents? What was the parents' job in the story? What's their job? Get the children to Jesus. So you're worried. I'm worried about all kinds of things. There's a lot to worry about, right? There is so much to freak out about. But let me tell you an honest truth. You will not stop the teenager from doing anything. I am living proof that the teenager has a malevolent mind that will not be stopped. I can't go into it. My dad's here today, so don't ask me any questions. But what I'm saying is you, like, you can't stop it. Whatever the evil is, whatever the bad is, whatever the decision is that you are afraid of, it cannot be stopped by you. Who can solve that problem? Only Jesus. Your task is not to stop the evil of the world. You can't do it. Your task is not to stop the children from encountering the evil of the world. You can't do it. Your task is to get your children to Jesus and then trust Jesus to do the rest. Because that is all you can do. And if, if you introduce them to other things and other priorities and other things, you will introduce them to Jesus. The disciple, let's say that children never got to Jesus and all they met was the disciples. What would they assume about Jesus? He doesn't have time for them. You will introduce your children to God, Guaranteed. And you will dictate what they believe about God from their earliest days to those teenage years, those formative times. What God will you introduce them to? Will you introduce them to a God who is too busy, so don't bother him? Will you introduce them to a God who is really angry and quickly angry, so don't cross him? Or a God who is distant, so you can't get to him or a God who is just waiting to see you fail and who expects it who criticizes you for it so don't expect to please him or a God who is fearful and controlling so you can't trust him because as parents we tend to fall into one of two categories we tend to be the kind of controlling uh, helicopter parents I think they call it now 
We're, we're hovering over, we're, we're afraid, and so we're, we're controlling, we're trying to stop all these things, or we tend to be the parent who lets them kind of do whatever they want because we want our children to like us, and both of those are driven by the same motivations. They are driven by anxiety, they're driven by fear. But if you take that out of the equation and you get it into your minds, both, all of you here today, all of you who are, 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 whether you have children or grandchildren or are single or married and you're never planning on having children. Fine. There are children all over this church who are going to see God through you. You are what they think of. ODCC is what these kids will think of. When they think of what church looks like, what are Christians like, what does God look like, it is all of us together. And it only takes a couple of you to ruin it. So, what we need to do is we need to push back against this We need to push back against that. And we need to bring up the children in a strong fear and admonition of the Lord, pointing them to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus, because our responsibility is to bring them to Jesus. I love this text, and I want to conclude with this text from 1 John. Because it's so interesting, 1 John constantly calls all of us little children. Whether you're a little child or you're 80 years old, You're a little child. And John says this. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So see... See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God because that is what we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, loved by God, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So children, bear with your parents in honor and affection. Parents, stop being so afraid and introduce your children to Jesus. And those of you who have no children at all, I plead, I beg you, introduce my daughters to Jesus. Because when they see us, they see God. And so everything we say and do matters. Let's stand as we sing.